if you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4. I want to extend my welcome to you. Uh, it's good to see you here today. We have some of our church family that's visiting family. I want to encourage you, if you will, to continue to remember uh, Tom and Miranda, as they are away from us today and will be for the next several weeks. As you know, uh, Miranda's been awaiting surgery, and we sent out a real message to let you know that she's also experiencing pneumonia and uh, ear infection. So if you will, pray for her. Second Corinthians chapter 4, I want to give our attention today to verses 13 through 15, if you'll follow along as I read. Paul writes, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving uh, to the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Father, help us today to rejoice in the hope that you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his resurrection and in that, Father, for those who trust in you to live, to serve, to give, to sacrifice, knowing that our hope rests in being raised and being brought into your presence. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Do you find it interesting uh, that as you read through Scripture, you're constantly confronted with the reality of hardship, trouble, and challenges? In fact, we hardly read anywhere in Scripture where we are confronted with things being well or good. We certainly receive promises from God to that end, and certainly those are realized as well in Scripture. But it's not an uncommon thing for us as we read Scripture to see hardship, struggles, and challenges. If you read the narratives, you read about it. If you look in the instruction that we're given in Scripture, you see it as well. For instance, in the epistle of James, it begins like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Think about that for a moment. Or if you look in the Old Testament, we begin in the book of Ruth. And the very first thing we read is, is in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. Hardship, struggles immediately confronted. If you continue to read that narrative, you probably recognize as well that you discover that there's a certain family, uh, a man, his wife, and two sons, who because of the hardship of the famine have to leave their home country and, or feel pressed to leave, and they go into a forbidden land, uh, and there they hope to find food. And if we read on a little bit farther, in the course of ten years, that family becomes three widows hardship and struggle 
And these are just small samples of the testimonies in Scripture. Hardships, tragedy, trouble, and pain are realities for every person in this life. You may recall back here just a few months ago when we were in Job, that Eliphaz, one of Job's counselors, said, For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, but man is born to trouble. Just as sparks fly upward, we're born to trouble. Now, we know that all the counsel that he gave Job wasn't right. But it's clear that he had a sense that in this life, in this life, there was going to be hardship. That it was not going to be easy. And that brings us to looking at the context of our text today. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. And let's go over to chapter 1 and get our context. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. Now notice, already at the beginning of the letter, he begins to talk about a need for comfort and where that comfort comes from, which implies what? That there is hardship, there's trouble, there's struggles, there's something here that needs to be comforted, and Paul is about to address it and about to deal with it. He goes on to write, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort also. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. I want you to consider that. Paul said, felt like he had been delivered even to death. Paul had a history with the people of Corinth. If you look in Acts chapter 18, you'd find out that Paul traveled to Corinth. He left Athens, he went to Corinth, and there he met Aquila and Priscilla, a Jewish couple who had fled Rome because Claudius had demanded that every Jew leave Rome. And they had left and they had gone to Corinth and they were tent makers. Paul was a tent maker. He connected with them. And it was there that he began to preach and teach in the synagogue. And under hardship and struggle and resistance, there was at least on Paul's part an idea seems to be that he would just leave and move on. But we read on in Acts chapter 18 and we hear that the word that Paul received in a vision from the Lord one night said, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you or do you harm for I have many in this city who are my people. And out of that ministry, the church was planted, and Paul stayed there for 18 months. 
when Paul left the church, uh, it did well for a while, uh, but then struggles and hardship came even for the church because of some of the teachings and stuff that had come into the church. And Paul addressed those. He went back and visited Corinth. Uh, he wrote them letters, and this was a part of that process, this letter that we read from and are reading from today here in 2 Corinthians. Paul is pointing them to the fact that their ultimate hope rests in the gospel and that this hope is tied to, undergirded with the resurrection. The ultimate hope of any deliverance, in any hardship, in any struggle, is grounded and founded in the resurrection. The ultimate hope of deliverance from hardship in this world is the resurrection. It's not found in a resolution here. We can't find a solution for hardship and struggle here. What we do is as believers, Paul is arguing that we look to the resurrection. And that deliverance awaits believers as they are raised with Christ and are brought into His presence. I want us to look at verse 13, and I want us to look at our text in light of this. Paul says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, he says, I believe, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. It's interesting that Paul begins his argument by connecting to the psalmist in Psalm 116. So if you will, turn over to the 116th Psalm, and let's find what Paul is trying to relate to the church at Corinth, and how he sees this as the psalmist has given it. Psalm 116, let's just read the, together the whole psalm. It said, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. And then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray deliver my soul gracious is the lord and righteous our god is merciful the lord preserves the simple when i was brought low he saved me return O my soul to your rest for the lord has dealt bountifully with you for you've delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears my feet from stumbling i will walk before the lord in the land of the living I believed even when I spoke. I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O oh Lord, I'm Your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. 
praise the Lord. It's interesting that Paul found in that psalm not an idea of looking back, but an idea of looking forward. Remember, the psalmist said, I will come into the land of the living. In other words, I will come to God. In the midst of this, you have delivered me out of this hardship. You've delivered me out of this suffering. You've delivered me out of the very grips of death. And you have brought me into the land of the living. When we're here today and we're talking about the resurrection, we're not just looking at something, an event of the past. We are looking at an event in the past, Christ's resurrection. But everything about His resurrection was pointing us to look ahead. When He was raised from the grave, God was pointing ahead to the work that He had accomplished in Him and the work that He would accomplish in those who would believe in Him. I've been greeted several times over the course of the last several days uh, with either Happy Easter uh, I've even had store clerks said, I hope you have a happy Easter. And in my mind, I'm wondering when I'm walking away, do you really understand what you're saying? It's great to say, well, have a happy Easter. But do they really understand the significance of Easter and the significance of the resurrection of Christ? Not just a historical event, but an event that pointed ahead to the future. And here's what it does. And this is what Paul is communicating here. Is that it fueled everything that he would do in ministry. He pointed back to the psalmist because the psalmist had said that I believe and therefore I speak. And so what does Paul say? He gives us three verbs in that verse 13. He says, we have, we also believe, and so we also speak. That's the centerpiece. We have. What do we have? He says, we have the same spirit of faith. We have the same spirit of faith. He was pointing to the, to the church at Corinth, and he said, I want you to know that we have this same faith. Faith in what? Faith in the atoning work of Christ. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the fact that He has atoned for our sins and He has been raised victorious. And that undergirding now establishes the fact that no matter what happens with us, there are two things that are certain. One, because of the life that He has given us, we cannot not speak. Notice what he says. He carries through this and this in, in progression. He says, we have this faith. We continue to believe in this. This fuels us. This drives us to what end? So that we speak about this very thing. We speak about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the reason this morning that when we began our service, our call to worship was what? Was Peter's testimony of the resurrection of Christ. We went to our confession and what did we hear? The Apostle Paul points to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It stands firm. It stands true. We claim this as believers knowing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is paramount to everything that we hold on to when we talk about eternal life. And Paul says, we have this faith, we hold it together, therefore we continue to believe. Believe in what? Believe that it is important for us to continue to bear out truth. 
back up there in chapter 4, and we'll notice what he says in verse 1. He says, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God. What ministry is it? Well, it was the ministry of proclaiming the gospel. The ministry of holding on to the truth. He says, and therefore we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, we have to speak the truth and uphold the truth and bear out the witness and testimony. Why? Because this faith is in us and it burns within us and it compels us to speak about the reality and the truth of the resurrection. What does that tell us as believers? Well, we're not just talking about Paul in ministry. We're not just talking about uh, vocational ministers. We're not talking about pastors. We're not talking about missionaries. We're talking about every believer that has been born again. There is rooted within us the reality and the truth of the resurrection that should and does in fact propel us to communicate and to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to talk about the atoning work of Christ to the end that that is our only hope. We sang that just a moment ago. In Christ alone. We sang it when we said it is not in me. What was it that Paul said back over there in chapter 1? Hear it again in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. The resurrection reminds us that we are not to lose heart, but that we are to continue to move forward uh, in ministry. I want you to note Paul's point in the resurrection of Christ. It secures the resurrection of the believers. How do we know this? Well, we read it in the earlier portion of the letter. We just read it a moment ago. That we were raised in Christ. God who raises the dead, He delivered us from deadly peril, and He will deliver us. Look in verse 14. We read it here. He says, Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. I want you to notice that Paul stresses this point of being raised, and he also presses the point of not being silent about the resurrection. We have this faith, we're compelled to speak. So we conclude that the life given in the resurrection is expressed in a bold witness by the power of God. It is expressed in a bold witness of the power of God to deliver. There's another thing that Paul states there in verse 14. And I don't want us to miss this. Let's read it again. Verse 14. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. What is it? It is that He is the one who raises Jesus and He will also raise us and bring us into His presence. Now I want you to pay attention to two things here. First, He will raise us and bring us into His presence. The resurrection is the means by which we are ultimately brought into the presence of God. And there are two reasons for this. 
First, it is the living that are in the presence of God. I want you to watch this because I want you to hear what Paul had already written to the church at Corinth. In chapter 1 and verse 28 of 1 Corinthians, he said, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even those things that are not, as if they were not alive, they did not exist, to bring to, bring to nothing things that are. Now if you go to Romans chapter 4, and I want to encourage you to turn there, look at verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. He said, that is why it depends on faith. Okay? That is why it depends on faith. In other words, this is why salvation depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Speaking of Abraham's offspring, because remember, Paul has already written that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Okay? This righteousness that enabled him to come into the, and would enable him to come into the presence of God. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. And notice this, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I want you to hold that. It is God who gives life. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. So life does not exist apart from God. And if we're to enter into the presence of God, here's the point. We can only enter into the presence of God if we are alive. Now look at Luke chapter 20 in verse 27. And Jesus made this point in this way. Luke chapter 20, verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. And here's the point. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. In other words, if they are in the presence of God, they are alive. No dead man comes into the presence of God. 
We are raised to be made alive so that we can enter into the presence of God. But there is a second part to that. The second part is this reality. And that is that the living are made able to enter into the presence of Jesus because of Christ's resurrection. Because the resurrection of Christ was the declaration that Christ's atoning sacrifice was sufficient. That it was satisfactory. I want you to catch this. Listen. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, the author of Hebrews writes, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing, and I want you to catch this, Hebrews 9, 11, thus securing eternal redemption. When He was raised, God placed His confirmation, stamp of approval, a sign to everyone that His atoning work was sufficient for redemption, was sufficient for forgiveness of sins. His atoning work and all that He was was now and had been complete, and He raised Him, giving Him life for Him to enter into that place with God for all eternity, representing all of those who would trust Him, representing all of those who would be made alive in Him by their faith and trust in Him and His atoning work. Then in the opening of Paul's letter to the Romans, we read this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And I want you to catch this in verse 4. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. So the living are made alive by God alone, and that life comes through Christ and His atoning work, which was confirmed by God as being fully sufficient. And He showed that by His resurrection. So when we say that Christ's resurrection is our resurrection, we mean two things. I want you to catch this. First, we mean that He is the first fruits from the dead. That is, He is our representative. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But second, we mean that when we are raised, it is the confirmation again that we are passing from death to life and that His death was sufficient and completely atoned for our sins. So I want you to see this. As we look ahead to the day that we die, when we look ahead and we have hope in the resurrection, that we will be raised and brought into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, when God raises us, He is confirming again at every one of those resurrections, He is confirming again that my son's sacrifice was sufficient for sin. You are raised. You've trusted in Him and His atoning work. So when all of those saints 
from the Old Testament and from our time until the time that the Lord returns, when that resurrection takes place, it is a, it is a resounding confirmation of the fulfillment of what God intended in bringing life through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice from verse 4 that this is true for all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says in verse 14. We're back in 2 Corinthians there, 4. Notice what he says. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us, and Paul was talking about himself and those who had been ministering there in Corinth. There had been tension against them. Paul says, separating them for just a moment, he says he will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Notice he's talking about all of those who have trusted in him because we saw in verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith. Every person that trusts the Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize well, two things will happen to them looking at this text. One, there will be a passion in their heart, a driving force in them, because they have this faith and are believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means for them in life, they will have to speak about it and they will be brought into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. For it is all for your sake. In other words, the resurrection undergirds this ministry, back up to verse 1 of chapter 4, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, in other words, the ministry that we have in declaring and proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming and declaring that Christ has been raised, this ministry is a work of grace in us that accompanies and comes together in full force with the grace that He gives us in believing and trusting in Him. The grace of the gospel. The grace of salvation. Okay, that ministry there, notice what it does, is that it is all for your sake, Paul says. In other words, it's all for the sake of of the church. It's all for the sake of your maturation. It's all for the sake of the work of God's grace toward you and bringing you to Him. And then notice what else it says. And not just bringing you to Him as what came in Acts chapter 18 when Paul and Aquila and Priscilla were preaching and teaching in the synagogue and for all those who had come since then. But notice what it says. As grace, so that as grace extends, in other words, so that as the work of the gospel extends to who? To more and more people. So that as grace extends to more and more people. Paul's point is, is the ongoing faithful preaching of the gospel will render more and more people hearing of the grace of God the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to us. We will trust in Him and more 
and more people will come. But I want you to catch this for just a moment. I was thinking about it in preparation for today. We say that we, we exist to love God supremely, to love others sacrificially, and to live in the world distinctively. Now, oftentimes we make a connection with loving sacrificially as doing for people. And there is an aspect of that in mercy ministry. But the greater work of sacrificing is sacrificing for the sake of other people's souls. Paul was concerned about the souls of the people in Corinth, the souls of the people in Ephesus, the souls of the people in Rome, the souls of the people in Jerusalem. Today, we stopped and we prayed for the souls of the people here in this community. I've prayed for the souls of the people in my family. Why? Because the gospel and its work is for their sake. Do you get it? And you know what undergirds all of that? It's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that undergirds all of that because I'm concerned about their souls because I want them to be raised with Jesus. I want them to be raised with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want them to be able to enter into the presence of God. I want the people in this community to be raised. And if we believe in the gospel and we believe in the resurrection and we are able to sing it is in Christ alone, we have to embrace and understand that that means that we sacrifice for others. And as Paul says, it is all for your sake. It's all for your sake. It's all for others' sake. He says, I give and do what I do because God has given me by His grace the ministry to preach the gospel because He has brought me and raised me anew and alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a believer. I was gripped just a moment ago and I, I don't know that it gripped me quite the same way. But as we sang, not in me, it says, no recitation of a truth. We can recite this truth over and over again, but until it quickens our heart with the reality of what it means that the Lord Jesus Christ was raised, until it quickens us to the point that as Paul said, this is all for others' sake. Why? So that more and more people will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice what else he says. And in that, it will increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's the end result. So that more and more people will come to know Him. I want to close with this text this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. I sent this out to some of you this morning because it, it has been a passage of Scripture that has had my heart for many years. Verse 10. 
that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, Church, it is for your sake, it is for your sake that I preach the gospel. It is for your sake that I hold up this truth that is grounded in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ so that more and more people will come to faith in Christ and that there will be great thanksgiving to the glory of God. I ask this question. You'll have to reason through it and work through it in your own heart. I wonder how many of us today are so overjoyed by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it ensures for you if you've trusted in Him that your heart is full of thanksgiving for the glory of God and the work of God's grace in the resurrection. You'll have to work through that. This text points us to that. As Adam led us this morning in our prayer, it was embedded in our confession and assurance of pardon. I was listening to the words from that Puritan prayer. And, and that prayer became our prayer. I hope it was your prayer. But I heard the richness of the thanksgiving for the work of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to be just that grateful. Because I want us to know the power of the resurrection and be willing to participate in his sufferings that we too might attain to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord God, overwhelmed today by the wonder and the power of your resurrection. The resurrection that you brought about in the Lord Jesus Christ and raising Him from the grave and in that securing life for all of us who would believe in You. Father, we acknowledge today that we'd have no life apart from that. But that as He has atoned for our sin and bore Your wrath and has propitiated for us. You have given Him life. And in that, Father, You have secured life for every one of us who would believe in You. 
Father, would you press the reality of that into our hearts and minds today to the degree that our hearts would be turned away from ourselves and turned to others. That we would no longer live life for us, but that we would live it for the sake of others. That even God, we would be willing to abandon everything, even our own lives. Because we are certain that with whatever happens, you will deliver us and in the end will deliver us from the grave and bring us to life into your presence. And there we will for all eternity praise you and bless you and give thanks for you but God, will you bring that about in our hearts today? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.